daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. You're right, this is Football Social Daily, a daily Premier League podcast stuffed full of the latest news, views and opinions all on the English top flight. Click subscribe now on the show. However you listen to your podcasts, make sure you always have the latest episode because there is a new one out every single day. Those news and views today come from Matt Cunningham. How are you doing, Matt? I'm good, thank you, Jim. How are you? I'm really good, sir. And we've got Stefan Armstrong on as well. How are you doing, Steph? No, and Jim, I'll tell you what, a pleasure to be back on with you, mate. It's been a while. It has been a while, hasn't it? Before our paths have virtually crossed. Have you, have you been avoiding to... me? You've been avoiding me, well, haven't you? Well, I'll be honest with you. After your outlandish opinions about David Moyes a couple of weeks back, <laughs> I'm not I'm not doing a podcast with him. If he's going to criticise the Messiah, then we're not doing it. Just going to draw a line there. But we're back. We're, we're over that now anyway. And the games are coming thick and fast right now. We're going to be looking back and forward at action for all our Premier League teams this morning. Firstly, Leeds. Well, they were brought back to earth with a bump by a Jamie Vardy-inspired Leicester City last night. Dare the Foxes dream of a second Premier League title triumph yet? They're up to second, so why not? At the other end of the table, Fulham stuck two past West Brom, who are a side that, look, they are all but relegated already this season. Are they going to be heading back to the Championship before they know it? We'll be assessing their chances of survival in the Premier League this season. Plus... Champions League action for Manchester City and Liverpool tonight. Two teams that many expected to be gunning for Premier League glory, but are they being distracted by their European adventures? There's also some news about a potential move for Lionel Messi to the Premier League again. I'll fill you in on the details of that very soon as well. And at the end of the podcast today, you're going to be hearing from Carl Jones. He is a comedian and a Tottenham Hotspur fan and an author. And Tottenham are the subjects of our floodlight focus on today's podcast. So stick around for that one. But let's get stuck into the Premier League action. Last night, two Monday night games. The first of which, Matt, as a Manchester United fan, has already said he can't wait to talk about. (laughs) Leeds getting a bit of a reality check from Leicester. It was 4-1 that game finished. Leicester up to second in the Premier League after their win and Brendan Rodgers, the Leicester team and all the fans will no doubt be kind of thinking that maybe they can repeat their 2016 heroics, Stefan. But is that realistic? Um, No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. They kind of had a, they had a good run last season and it all, it all went uh, to pot, didn't it, in the lockdown. Mm. So I think they've got to be realistic what I will say is that uh, Brendan Rodgers won't get the credit he deserves for this. Uh, as my friend said last night, mainly because he's not a foreign football manager super god. But is this the whole Sam Allardyce, Sam Aladici thing? That if you're, <laughs> if, you, if you're not if you're not a, an English manager, you don't get credit. Basically, you need a foreign sounding name. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a masterclass last night, to be honest. From Leicester, they had three games, uh, three three days to prepare for that game, whereas Leeds mm. United had eight, and Leicester taught them a lesson. So Rodgers gets all the credit for last night. I mean, one of the things that I guess Leicester do deserve and Rodgers deserves a lot of credit for, Matt, is the recruitment over the summer because the uh, young French centre-back for Fana had another brilliant game. They've got a fair few injuries again. Leicester City at the moment. We saw James Madison playing, uh, coming off the bench as a substitute and having an impact. He's back from injury. But there seems to be a little bit of depth to that Leicester City squad. They've coped with the departure of Ben Chilwell very well as well. Yeah, and they're going to need the depth as well. Playing in the Europa League is never easy and it can take its toll and it probably will take its toll on the squad. 
as the season goes on. But I, I was I was going to say what Stefan said is Brendan Rodgers, he's to me one of the most criminally underrated managers in the Premier League. He does such a great job since he's come there. He's, he's done brilliant last season. They were playing like that 4-1, 4-1, really attacking formation. It was working. They Was it 9-0 against Southampton last season they won? some. Well, nine really... one, I think, wasn't it? They, Southampton got one consolation goal. In oh that. yeah, yeah, nine one. And uh, so, amongst other games, they they just look really good. And yesterday, I mean, Leeds are typically one of the most tactically astute teams around. But Bielsa does a great job at that as well. But they do look prone to a thump in Leeds, um, which I'm very happy about. It's, <laughs> they've conceded a few goals already, and I thought Leicester, as good as they were yesterday, it was also Leeds being very bad. A lot of mistakes, um, a lot of spaces in behind as well. But yeah, the point of Brendan Rodgers, I, I just think he, he could quite easily do a job at any of the top clubs in England, any of the massive clubs around, but he won't get that opportunity, I don't think, because as you said, you know, he's not called Rogertinho or <laughs> <laughs> you know, any, any of the above. Uh, but I, I thought a really interesting game. I like watching Leicester at the best of times. And when they're beating Leeds 4-1 at Ellen Road, there's a great game for me to watch as well. But yeah, I thought Rodgers, the star of the show. Why can't they win the Premier League title again then? Why are we ruling them out? Because they've got a great manager. They've got great players. They've got a striker who just seems to get better and better the older he gets in Jamie Vardy. They're able to tactically analyse and take on teams that potentially you'd expect should beat them. But but yet we're saying, no, they can't do it again. Look, Leicester fans are the proudest fans that I know. They absolutely love their team, but I still don't know a single Leicester fan who thinks they're going to win the Premier League. Simply because you've got two teams in Man City and Liverpool who are just better than you. They've got they've got more depth. Now, what I will say about Leicester, which is very impressive, is last night they were playing without Evans, Ndidi, Castagna, Pereira, Soyonchu, Amity, uh, and Madison still isn't 100% fit. So they still managed to... Look, look last night they were playing with, with, um, with a back five uh, and three of those, one was a fullback, Fuchs. The other was Justin, who was a fullback. Fafana, who you, you, you were uh, praising early, he's only 19 years old and played three mm. Premier League games. Uh, Albright was playing uh, at left wing back. Uh, and Thomas, who's another 19 year old in his third Premier League game, was playing at right wing back. Now, that worked for them last night, but I don't think it'll work for them going, uh, continuing as the season goes along. So they've just not got that depth. Now, when their main players come back, I think that'll help them. But I just I just don't think they've got the same depth as, as teams like Liverpool and Man City have. Worth pointing out that this is the best start they've made to a top flight campaign since. Can you guess the date? <laughs> 2015. No, 2000. <laughs> they actually oh. made a better start in the year 2000. Got 15 <laughs> points from the first seven games. What about Leeds then? Because they made a really impressive start in the Premier League. Loads of people were saying before the season even kicked off that they'd be top six I'm not sure I ever quite bought into that but in the last couple of weeks it's not quite worked out for them was last night a reminder that the Premier League's actually pretty tough Matt oh I think so I think this that what we saw last night was Leeds you know they're gonna have good games and good wins um good performances but then things like this are gonna happen when they play for instance Liverpool and Manchester City I know they've already played uh, both of those teams I think actually but when those games types games come around you might get thumped that might be what happens but I think Leeds will probably finish in the top 10 and they're in almost like a little beauty zone where they're a newly promoted side. So they've got those expectations of just avoid relegation and stick around. Mm. But they're also a brilliant side. You know, they're, they're, they're a good team. Bielsa has them shaped up very well. And while they don't have big names in their team, they play a nice brand of football. And Bamford's having a good season so far as well. 
So I would expect them to finish in the top 10. So there's not massive pressures on Leeds, I don't think, really. As you said, the, the top six thing, that's a bit of a push because there's so many good teams in the Premier League this year. Uh, I think there's probably at least seven, eight, maybe nine teams that are better than Leeds. But if they finish in the top 10, that's a good season by all yeah. accounts. You know, the first season back in top flight football for however many years it was, was it 16 or something like that? Not um, enough. Not enough. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree with you. Um, but, it, you know, it, it would be a good finish for them all across the board if they can finish in the top 10. So a 4-1 loss to a team that we're just saying, you know, maybe we'll win the league. Maybe we'll be there there or thereabouts by the end of the season. It's not the end of the world for Leeds. And I think they will live to see another day in the Premier League by the end of the season. Can I say something controversial here? Um, oh, you can always <laughs> say something controversial. Stephen. Yeah. Um, do you not think there's been a massive Marcelo Bielsa bandwagon going on over the last few months? There has. Now, I, I, yeah, I, I understand that this, this guy is perceived as a tactical magician, right? Um, and, and all the right people are saying the right things about him. He's lauded by people like Pep Guardiola, uh, Messi, so on and so forth. So... He's clearly at the top of his game, but has it not been overdone to the fact to the point where I don't know whether it's secret Leeds fans in, infiltrating chat rooms or or who it is saying Leeds are going to finish in the top six this year? Mm. I think we've got to remember that they, they've come up from the Championship and they're playing last night. They're playing a, an established Premier League team, so they're, they're not probably not going to win these games. So they, they need to settle for just a having a good performance in the Premier League this year and some something like a, a 14th place uh, uh, finish would be would be great for Leeds United and I think I think we kind of got to remember that Marco Bielsa bandwagon has kind of overshadowed that a little bit I think I think you're right Stefan and I think it's probably the opposite of Brendan Rodgers if he was called Mark Brown it probably wouldn't have <laughs> the same credit that he does. he's a little bit quirky though isn't it he likes sitting on his bucket he has got all this praise from other managers around the Premier League, some of the great managers around the world. So there is going to be a hype around him. But ultimately, I guess he does need to prove that. And undoubtedly, he gets performances out of that Leeds team. The Leeds team is better than the sum of its parts. And I think that's where that praise comes from. But it'll be interesting to see where where Leeds finish this season and whether whether he can go toe-to-toe with the bigger teams. That's the point I was just about to make. Is I do think you're right, is... Bielsa's people are overhyped on him and there is a bandwagon going around for the guy but in the same sense he does do a very good job and if you look at their team it's, there's no big names in there there's no great players that stand out and make it look like they should be performing as well as they are in the Premier League um, I think Bielsa the, the thing that baffles me about Bielsa as well is he doesn't speak a word of English I'm not sure how he's <laughs> how he's quite managed it with a largely English team PowerPoint unless he must have a great translator Matt I know, yeah. Well, maybe his translator is someone like Guardiola, and that's why they have such great tactical um, games. But, but I, don't, I don't think players like Ailing and Dallas speak much Argentinian, so I'm not quite sure how Bielsa manages it. <laughs> it's mad, but Matt, you're a Man United fan, right? And I am. It's fair, to, it's fair to say that you've had one of the worst starts to a season ever. Yes, I would agree. And a Leeds United fan would say they've had one of the best starts to the season ever. But if Man United win their next game, then the level on points with Leeds. So that's for perspective mm. that we've got to look at this. Well, that's expectations, yeah, yeah. I guess. Isn't there's, it? I think there's largely different expectations on the two teams. Leeds don't have, you know, a 90 million and 80 million pound player starting each week, um, mm. and it is their first season in Premier League in a long time. So it, it pains me to say it, but I am impressed with Leeds every time I watch them. Not so much last night, but like we said, Leicester are a good side. Uh, United, on the other hand, I 
it's been a while since I've been impressed with United in the Premier League. <laughs> I do still wonder slightly about Leeds this season and whether they do need a new goal scorer. Because you're right, Bamford has had a good season up to this point. But last night, he missed a couple of guilt edge opportunities. One early on that was a header from a few yards out. And then he looked clean through as well and miscontrolled the ball uh, in this, early in the second half. And he, you, you'd expect a top-level striker maybe to do a little bit better in those scenarios. But at the same time, it's unfair to criticise him after one bad game when he has done so well so far this season, when he had so many doubters pre-season. Let's move on to the next game, though, because Fulham found a lifeline in terms of Premier League survival last night. They were facing West Brom. We called it a relegation six-pointer, which seems crazy when you're seven games into the season to have a relegation six-pointer. But it did kind of feel that way. How big a win was that last night for Fulham, Matt? Yeah, huge, huge. I don't think either team could really afford to lose. And as you said, it's so early in the season to be saying things like that. But that's just the way the season has gone. And, you know, when you're playing one of the newly promoted sides, as a newly promoted side, they're the three points that you probably put a circle around at the beginning of the season and say, we've got to win that game. That's the game we've got to get. Hmm. Um, and Fulham did it. And I think just like we've been talking about the managers in the Leeds and Leicester game, this is maybe the other end of the spectrum, but all about the managers again is these are two managers that are probably under fire. Bilic, it, to me, his interviews are gripping. Every time he speaks, I, it, I, I'm intrigued. He says the most baffling things. Last week, he was uh, moaning at the board for selling um, Higazi behind his back, his most experienced defender. Mm. This week, he said that his players are not committed enough and Fulham are just miles better and they're better at everything than West Brom, which was strange to hear because managers these days usually have a few sort of preset answers of, oh, we were great, or oh, this could have gone right for well, us, or... That, that quote from Bilic I've got here, actually, this is what he said after the game. He said, they were stronger, sharper and quicker. Their passing was better. They were better in all areas of the pitch where it makes a difference. Which is a weird quote from a manager to say. As, as you say, Matt, that's, that sounds like a man who's thrown in the towel a little bit. Because at the end of the day, if, if Fulham were better than West Brom and stronger, sharper, quicker, that's down to Bilic, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. That's why I was baffled when I heard it. And I could say the same thing for his interview the week before um, after that game. But I'm not sure what's going through Bilic's mind. He is a good manager, isn't he? So, And I do think he's maybe played... Uh, how can you phrase it? I suppose a bit under himself at West Brom. He's maybe a bit of a bigger manager than West Brom are um, aside this year. But it sounds to me like maybe he's given up or maybe he knows what's about to happen if he knows that it's the end of his time. Because I'm not entirely sure, but... It was strange to hear from a manager in today's day and age. Mm. Obviously, we've had Slaven Bilic at West Ham, my team, and my assessment of his time at my club was that when he came into the club, he had an instant impact because he is this quite likeable character and he is a man motivator and he could make players do things and make players play for him. But as time went on, it's the coaching that suffered. And I'm not sure how great he is as a football coach and the team and the tactics seem to fall away. So he had that instant impact and then it kind of fell away slightly as his time went on and obviously ended up getting sacked at the at the end of his tenure. And I wonder if that's happening again at West Brom. I wonder if Slavin Bilic's days are already numbered, Stefan. Yeah, as you just said, um, as you just alluded to, uh, he knows what it's like to get sacked from a struggling Premier League team and he seems to play that part perfectly Slavan Bilic sadly I've, I've, I've got I don't know what to say about him he's never seemed happy to me no. since he was the manager of Croatia he likes getting a new job I remember him coming into West Brom and saying he liked the smell of the training yeah. ground and being, being yeah, really excited Steve McC Claren likes getting a new job you know it's not a perfect <laughs> world is it um, I don't know I mean, it, it's difficult for me to comment on Fulham and West Brom because 
as a neutral, it's probably the most uh, least anticipated fixture in the Premier mm. League. Sorry, guys, but but you, let's be true. I mean, are you telling me you didn't pay fifteen pounds for it last night? Fourteen ninety five. <laughs> yeah, I'd I'd love to see the stats. I'd love to see the stats on the pay per view last night uh, for Sky, for Sky yeah. for that game. I mean, uh, yeah, and again, the fact that we've called it a, a six pointer already it just kind of sums up the parts of this. Like, I've got to be honest. I like mm. I like um, Scotty Parker. I like um, I like the way. He, he, he handles himself i like i like from a human point of view i like that he wears his heart on his sleeve i like that he's honest and you can see the emotion you can see how much that means to him so just for him i hope that that fulham do well in that this this is a bit of a this is a bit of an upturn in performances i mean neither of them are doing very well whatever i mean west brom still haven't won a game so that's damning um the Olerena goal, though, we've not spoken about the game. The uh, mm. the second goal, that strike, was was Which is something they've struggled so with, we've scoring goals. This, I mean, they've struggled everywhere for them this season. They've struggled keeping clean sheets at the back and they've struggled scoring goals. They did both those things last night, but even on the evidence of that game, Stefan, where they were quicker and faster and stronger, as Bilic called, than West Brom, it's, it's tough to see how they're going to get too many points this season and where those points are going to come from, isn't it? Yeah, they just need an upturn in form and I don't know where that's coming from. I mean, they're sitting there at 17th, West Brom are 18th. The two, the two teams who I can't really... Do you know, do you know when, you, when, you, when you put teams against each other on paper and you say, oh, this team's definitely going to be that team and more often than yeah. not, if you bet on it, you get it wrong. On paper, I can't see Fulham beating anybody in the Premier League except mm. for West Brom. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe vice versa, and that—that's the problem. So, I don't know. I might—I might be wrong, but I'm—I'm I'm quite happy to call it that. Both Fulham and West Brom will get relegated this year. I and think after seven games, I shouldn't be saying that. I think you're spot on. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Sorry, West Brom and Fulham fans, if you think differently, then get in touch via social media. You can get us on Twitter at the Sports Social. You can find us on Facebook, the Sports Social. Search that, and on Instagram, Sports Social Official. Let us know what you think about your team's chances this season. We're going to be turning our attention to Europe next. Manchester City and Liverpool in action tonight. We'll talk about their Champions League fixtures next on the Sports Social. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sports Social. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. Manchester City and Liverpool have Champions League action tonight. And we're going to start with the Blues. Manchester City gearing up for a game against Olympiacos. And Gabriel Jesus could be fit enough to feature in this one. They've been without Aguero. They've been without Jesus in recent weeks as well. Pep says it's a little bit too early to say whether Jesus is going to feature or not. But I do wonder sometimes, Matt, with Manchester City, whether they actually play better... I mean, there's no doubt Aguero improves that Manchester City team, but sometimes I wonder whether they're better without Jesus and playing someone like, I don't know, like Torres in there instead. I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely possible. Is When you have a, a striker like Aguero or um, Gabriel Jesus, it's, can, you can become a bit one-dimensional. They're typical strikers that don't, you know, they don't offer much outside of the outside of the 18-yard box, but City tend to make it work irrespective of what formation they play or who they play in which position. They, they seem to play well and make it happen for them irrespective and this is a game that I mean I think I don't think any of the three of us would predict Olympiacos to beat City tonight I, I expect them to win it you know whether they play Torres through the middle or Jesus through the middle but they, City 
this season, they've impressed me so far. I think they've got a bit of criticism in the in the Premier League, but th- these kind of things can happen. You know, fixtures in the Premier League can go one way or another. We've you see, for instance, as we just mentioned with Fulham and West Brom, it could have gone either way. Fulham ended up being the marginally better team on the night. Um, I expect City to still be there, you know, at the top of the league or second place by the end of the season. And likewise in the Champions League, they've started well. Um, they've impressed. They've got two good wins under their belts already, and they're almost definitely going to qualify from the group. So I expect City to go out and make easy work of Olympiacos uh, tonight, as I think most people would. I think they've looked a little bit slow in the Premier League at times, Manchester City, which it hasn't seemed to have translated so much in the Champions League. Is it For you, is it the performance levels have been similar? It's just, as you say, just a matter of luck? Or is it that potentially the quality in the Champions League has been below the opposition they've faced in the Premier League? Well, I, I, th- I think maybe, yeah, maybe a bit of both, I suppose, is that I don't think the likes of Porto and Marseille are maybe up to scratch of some of the Premier League teams they've faced. I don't know how well they would, either of those teams would fare in the Premier League. Porto not a bad side, I suppose. But um, I think City, in the Premier League, it's it's all very intense. It's all very sort of, even the worst of teams will kick you and make it difficult or sit back and play for a draw. And it's, they, they, it can be scrappy, it can be intense. Whereas in the Champions League, it's kind of like you get a bit of a breather in midweek. It's, it's all about the football and the passing. And, you know, it's not, it, the intensity is not quite there. It's about how well you can set up tactically and how well you can move the ball. And it, for Premier League teams, I think that's why I, maybe Manchester United have done so well in the Champions League so far as well, is it's just a completely different environment and, and style of football that you're able to play um, in Europe than in, in the Premier League. And I think that suits City. It's also, as I just said, suited United. Um, and that's probably why you've seen a bit better mm. of a performance in the Champions League uh, from Guardiola's team. Avoiding the old cliche of Greek teams being better when they are at home and not being able to travel, etc., etc. Stefan, can you see uh, Olympiakos causing City too much of a problem tonight? Uh, nah, not really. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they should, I was I was actually in Greece when they played Marseille and I watched that game. Uh, it was a long, long ninety minutes, and then this I think they scored in the ninety-second minute. Um, so they've got a bit of grit and determination. They're a fighting team, Olympiakos. Uh, and I don't know if Man City will like that, but Man City have toughened up over the last few years. Mm. So I can't I can't really see Man City slipping up here. Um going back to going back to the last point now, why the difference between the Premier League and the um the Champions League. I thought it's very interesting what Pep Guardiola said. He said, I love football, but there's too much football. Uh, and I think <laughs> that's why I think that's why a lot of teams are kind of suffering. Um in the Premier League, and that maybe the reason why there's some odd results happening, I don't think it's because of a, a lockdown scenario, any of that stuff. I think it's because um, there just seems to be a football game on every three days for whoever yeah. you support. Um, and as as Matt was saying, the intensity of the Premier League, it seems to have this extra intense bubble around it. Um, and I think that just trips up some of the some of the better teams in the Premier League every now and again. Liverpool have suffered from that this year. Man City have suffered that from that this year. Man United suffer from it over time, so it doesn't matter about them. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's the reason why there's there's a slight discrepancy between uh, teams in Europe and in the Premier League. But as for Man City tonight, uh, Olympiacos, I don't think it'll be an exciting game, um, but I think they'll win. 
Nathan Ake is back for Manchester City. Aguero still out, as I mentioned. Fernandinho and Benjamin Mendy also remain sidelined for this one. Potentially a new recruit being talked about in the Telegraph this morning, though. The rumours about uh, Lionel Messi potentially joining Manchester City have been reignited with a story that Messi has signed a pre-contract <laughs> ahead of a move in the summer. I've no idea what a pre-contract I've heard that is. one before. Uh, do you think we'll actually... Well, we ever, I mean, there's some really interesting stories around Barcelona at the moment. I was reading something the other day saying they could be bankrupt within two weeks if they don't sort some of their wage bills out, which is insane because the window's closed now. How do you sort your wage bill out when the window's closed? So, But do you think Lionel Messi will ever come to the Premier League? Will we ever see him in a Manchester City shirt, Stefan? No. I, f- I think all the, uh, all the conversations around Lionel Messi has been quite a big political movement. Barcelona have clearly got problems in their club regarding the presidency. Um, I've, this, this to me seems like some sort of like Alistair Campbell spin doctoring going on somewhere <laughs> in Barcelona. I don't I don't know who Messi, Messi's agent is his dad, right? So I, I reckon this is yeah. all slowly getting leaked from him every now and again. No, I, I don't see it. He'll, he'll once there's a new establishment in at Barcelona... Um, they're talking about the old guard bringing Puyol and Xavi and all them guys back to run the club. Um, then he'll get involved with that and he'll stay over there. He'll 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 become a lifelong board member slash president at some point very soon. Anyway, um, it seems crazy at this stage in his career why he'd leave yeah. when he has the opportunity to play his entire career at a club that have supported him since he was six years old or whatever. It is. Yeah, and why why risk it? I mean, he he's not the Lionel Messi of of 2015 anymore is he so why mm. why whisk, risk your uh whisk risk your reputation uh coming to the premier league now when when your glory days are probably just behind you uh mm. seems seems bizarre to me Let's talk about the other Premier League team in European action tonight. That is Liverpool. They're travelling to Italy to face Atalanta. Um there's some worries for Liverpool in terms of personnel. Obviously we know Virgil van Dijk is out for the season. Joel Matip as well is injured. Naby Keita uh, facing a late fitness test. But still, it's difficult to see... Again, I guess it's a similar story with City versus Olympiacos. It's difficult to see Atalanta causing too much of a problem for Liverpool in this one, Matt. Well, yeah, I suppose that they are a good team, Atalanta. They score a lot of goals. I think Mm. in their opening four or five games this season, every time I would check... Serie A, they've scored four, they've scored three, they've scored five. So, and, and defensively, I don't think that that sound. It seems as though whenever they do play a good team, they, they look shaky and they can leak goals. So, we could be in for like a seven, eight goal thriller tonight, especially given that Liverpool, as as you mentioned, I think, with, are without um, Virgil van Dijk, without. Is Joel Matip still out as well? I think he is, isn't he? Again, late fitness test for him, too. Yeah, so so obviously if they're without the two main centre-halves, it's, it's difficult for Liverpool. You don't want, you lose your two main centre-halves, you've got to put any partnership together. I think it was, was he called Stevens came in um, at the weekend and did quite a good job, but how Phillips. unfair was against... Was it Phillips? Was it Phillips? Sorry, it might, 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 mistake, yeah, it might be Phillips, yeah. Um, but he, he wasn't, he wasn't and, a Liverpool defender, that's what I thought about him, because obviously I, I paid quite a lot of attention to that game, because it was playing my team, West Ham, and I thought... He was he he did really well in that game. He was big, he was strong, he was physical, but he was not easy on the eye. It was not a cultured Liverpool centre back performance. It was a big lump in the middle who stopped <laughs> the good ones essentially. Yeah, I suppose that, that that's what's going to happen when you lose some of your best defenders. But I, I, with Atalanta being the goal scoring type of team they are, and likewise for Liverpool as well, it could be in for a good game. You could see a lot of goals tonight. But I, as you said, yeah. I do think Liverpool will get um, over the hurdle. I don't think Atalanta will. 
managed to beat Liverpool. But you never know. Anything could happen in that game, I feel like. We talked about the intensity of the Premier League at the moment and the never-ending football, Steph. But with Liverpool, they're, I mean, they have the same game pressures as Manchester City, but potentially don't have the same squad depth. We've said before, when you look beyond that first Liverpool eleven, there's not much that you can bring in in terms of rotation. No, not really, but... Liverpool are a bit different because they've had a, they've had an upturn in form. They've already had their lull really at the start of the season, and they, they now seem to be to be firing um, firing up the gears. Like the if you look at the signing of uh, Diego Jota, I, I kind of questioned that uh, in the summer, and then um, now it, it makes it makes perfect sense. Really, he's 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 saved them the last few games. This upturn in form, I, I, I think. I think they're all right to be honest with you. I don't, don't really think it matters if they haven't got the same squad depth of Man City. I think they've got a better starting eleven and enough players who come in who can help them out. So, mm. so I don't think it really matters for them too much. Do you think we should see Diego Jota coming into that first eleven now? He's proved himself with a couple of substitute appearances, and that front three hasn't quite looked the same. I mean, we all know. The criticism that um, Firmino gets in terms of not contributing to the goal tally, would you like to see maybe Jota slotting into that role? I think it's a natural progression between between um, Firmino and Jota. It's kind of great. Great teams evolve over 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 the years, um, and Firmino was was the guy two or three years ago, and he's he's slowly taking a more bit part role. I, it's unfair the amount of criticism that Firmino gets. I know, and he was always lauded as this player who was like the glue between between the other um, attackers at Liverpool. I don't. I think he's getting a lot of criticism right now, and I don't, I don't really like hearing that because he's a quality player and he does a great job. Um, do, do, do Liverpool players want to see an out and out goal scorer as opposed to somebody who can link things up? I'm I'm not sure. I'm, you, it's difficult for me to answer that one, to be honest with you. Do you know, I, I actually feel the opposite about F- Firmino for Liverpool, actually. I think, I mean, he does get a lot of criticism, but I think it is fair. And I also think he does actually get a good press generally, a good media generally. I heard people invent this saying d- defensive striker for Roberto Firmino, and I'm not even entirely sure what that means. Or, you know, if if you're a striker, why would, you know, you have defenders to defend and strikers to score goals, but <laughs> he, I'm, I'm not sure. It's like Sheffield United have goal-scoring defenders. Yeah, overlapping centre-backs and, and defensive <laughs> yeah. strikers. So I'm not entirely sure what that means, but I think it was just invented to, to make Firmino seem like something he isn't, which, as you said, a few years ago, he was a, a very good player. He, he was just as important to that front three as Mane and Salah are. He got nearly 30 goals, if I remember rightly, only a, maybe three mm-hmm. or four years ago. Um, but one goal in, in however many games this season, didn't score many last season, I think nine in the Premier League. I, I, th- I think he's quite lucky for me, you know, that he's not come under more fire and, and it's not happened much sooner. But with Jota coming in and scoring goals like he has done, looks to be a good player. He got essentially two the night, one was disallowed and then, and then scored again straight away. I think, as you said, the natural progression is almost in place. And from Jota to Firmino, uh, it seems like it might be what's about to happen for Liverpool's front three. I think we're backing Liverpool to win tonight, but there's an interesting stat that out of the three Champions League games that Jurgen Klopp has taken his Liverpool team to in Italy, they have lost all of them. So it might not be quite as plain sailing as some Liverpool fans are hoping. Right, we'll leave that there. We're going to talk about Spurs next because our floodlight focus is going to be chatting to Carl Jones. He's a comedian, he's an author, and he is a Tottenham fan. And we'll do that next on Football Social Daily. 
Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily and it's time for our Floodlight Focus. Today it's with Carl Jones, who's a Tottenham fan. He's a comedian and he's the author of Being That Number, a book that's all about Spurs 2018-2019 season, which obviously culminated in their Champions League final loss to Liverpool. Hey, Carl, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jim. Great to be on. You're a comedian. It probably helps being a comedian when you're a Spurs fan, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, there's certainly uh, there's certainly some dark humour over the years, and I, I mean, after 25 years of being a Spurs fan, I've had to uh, I've, I've explored it all. Really, I think I've seen every episode of uh, of what Tottenham can throw at you. So, yeah, I, I think that certainly helps in terms of having a, a certain outlook on life and, and supporting Tottenham Hotspur. It's interesting that the book that you've written, Being That Number, which is about the Spurs 2018-19 season, as I said, it's interesting that you focused on that season as a Spurs fan because I've heard several times already this season that season being cited as the reason Tottenham won't win anything this year. They won't win the Premier League title because the mentality of the squad has been questioned again and again. Now, my argument to this is that getting to the Champions League final and falling short and getting so close to the Premier League title when Leicester won it a few years earlier actually helps that mentality and builds towards potentially Spurs being ready to mount that title challenge. I definitely agree that it's building towards that I mean I think the, the, that the book in particular in that season it was actually supposed to be about Tottenham's first season back in the new stadium which of course was delayed by about seven or eight months so again we kind yeah. of go back to that recurring theme of comedy and dark humour so uh, they, they very nearly messed that up for me but um, I suppose they somewhat retrieved the season but I, I do agree with what you're saying really in terms of th- there's been a lot of near misses I've been listening to Maurizio Pochettino last night even on um, on, on Monday Night Football and, and what he spoke about I think it's an easy stick to beat Tottenham with. Of course, there haven't been trophies in the last few years and and it was an easy stick to beat Pochettino with. I think the numbers of what he achieved, the you know, 86 points in a season, albeit mm. coming so close and still yet so far, but he turned us from also runs into challengers. And, and I do think that Mourinho is proving to be the man who can take us on to that next level, which, of course, you know, every Tottenham fan wants more than everything. Of course we want. We, we don't want to be the, the, the bridesmaids. We do want to win trophies. We do want to, we do want to be challenging at, at the top. But, so this season so far, for me... It's been a pleasant surprise. Obviously, the season looks wide open. There's lots of teams in there who are challenging. We are one of them, and we've got a ve- we've had a very strong transfer window. Not the only side who've had a strong transfer window, but I, I do think that the mentality is changing around the club. Um, it-, it may even be that the that playing in empty stadiums appears to be benefiting in a small way. So there's a lot of it building up. It's going to be a real sort of upside down season, but I, I-, I do believe that Tottenham are going to be contenders, and I wouldn't have said that six seven weeks ago so I do think something's happening and hopefully it ends in us finally lifting that trophy that everyone (laughs) goes on about so much what is it specifically that you think Tottenham have this season that maybe they've lacked in previous seasons 
for me, I, def I think it's definitely that strength in depth. I think, you know, we've we've had a very strong start in 11, but there hasn't always been that same quality to come in. And I think at the moment you can say that there are two very good players for every single position and, you know, striker mm -hmm. in particular. Um, you know, I think Vinicius looks looks a really promising uh, prospect to, to come in. Um, clearly the addition of a player like Gareth Bale, what, he brings what he's what he's achieved in his career um in the in the interim period is is phenomenal and he has looked a little bit rusty there's no doubt about it i suppose that goes without saying with how little football he's played recently but you know to come on for that match winning cameo on 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 sunday evening and um and, and get the winning goal it's going to do his confidence the world of good but I mean you know Gareth Bale looks a player beyond that now he looks like a player who if he doesn't if he doesn't score in a game he'll still go out the next game confident that he will so hopefully that's the first of many as well so I, I think they're the two key elements and and I do think there's now a a grinding it out kind of attitude that we haven't always had there's a there's a solidity in the team now that that Mourinho's brought it might not always be the most easy on the eye but quite frankly I'd rather beat Brighton 2-1 in those circumstances than draw 1-1 with mm -hmm. Newcastle after we've played them off the pitch for for 89 minutes so for, for me I think the signs are positive and as long as we can just keep that momentum and keep that um keep that consistency going um I, I do think we'll be there thereabouts I've been really impressed with the little we've seen from Gareth Bale. And what's impressed me, I think, has been how physical he is and what how how big he looks now. I don't remember Gareth Bale being such a strong physical player previously in the Premier League. And obviously he's been out of the spotlight at Real Madrid, but we know he's technically good. We know he's fast. We know he's skillful, but he seems to have added this physicality to his game as well. Definitely, and and you know, I think you, you, everyone remembers that sort of slightly wiry youngster that he started mm. out as, and and it started to happen a little bit uh, at Spurs, but I think it went on to another level at Real Madrid. I think you could probably say the same about someone like Cristiano Ronaldo, and 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 even even someone like Harry Kane, you know, who's also started out as quite a wiry player and is now quite a physical, strong player. So, yeah, he he does. He, I mean, he's he's a phenomenal player, and of course, he probably is past his absolute peak, um, but. You know, a Gareth Bale at fifty percent of what left us is still one hell of a player, and 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 I think that's what we all hope we're going to see over the remainder of the season. Because what a player to bring on in a in, in a match like on Sunday, where you where you need that little bit of something. It was a fairly simple goal, a great cross from Reguilon, who also looked phenomenal, of course, and he's gone under the radar a little bit at exactly the same time. But we've got this fantastic, phenomenal, pacey, attacking left fullback that mm. really, since since Danny Rose has kind of dropping form, which in, in fairness was, I think, due to quite a serious injury a couple of years ago, we haven't had that. And, you know, a lot of Tottenham fans will, will tell you that that season with, with kind of uh, Toby and Yan in the middle and, and Kyle Walker on one side and Danny Rose on, on the other. I mean, we, we went from being a very, very... Um, we concede a lot of goals to, to having one of the best defenders in the in the world for, for sort of a 12-18 month period there and then that kind of fell away. I think we're back towards building that now and, and those two fullbacks, Reguilon in particular, are, are a key part of it. You mentioned the style of football that Jose Mourinho is playing how is that settling with you at the moment? Obviously, you're getting the results, which I guess is probably a large part of accepting it as the way Tottenham play now. But do you think the fact that there are no fans in the stadium, the fact that there aren't people demanding free-flowing football has kind of 
almost almost allowed Jose to be more Jose. I think I think it has. I think that's definitely a school of thought there that um, perhaps sometimes where we're sitting off a little bit, we do seem to have a tendency of taking a lead, playing that kind of attacking free-flowing football, getting a lead and then sitting back. I mean, if I think back to early Jose, you know, when he was when he was doing such a fantastic job at Chelsea, they would go 2-3-0 up within the first 25, 30 minutes and shut up sharp mm. and, and, and and look impenetrable. Um, I wouldn't quite say we look <laughs> impenetrable, but we are, we are looking better. Um, and we seem to do it at, at one goal up rather than two or three, which is a shame. I think the flip side of it is and, and the thing that people are forgetting, you know, we've been to Old Trafford and put six past six past yeah. Man United, and you know, some of the football we've played has been absolutely phenomenal. I think when you when you're coming up against um, a Brighton or a Newcastle who are very well organised, who are putting players behind the ball, you know, I've supported Tottenham long enough to know that the amount of times the games where we've only got a point out of those games, or worse still, hit with, hit with a sucker punch in the 85th minute. That, I mean, that's happened. It goes back to what I was saying about seeing every episode of Spurs. We, that's happened so many countless times that I really, really can't find anything to moan about when we do grind it out against the Brighton and, and, and get that three points. So for me, I'm personally enjoying watching Tottenham at the moment. We're scoring a lot of goals. Um, for, for the most part, we're playing quite a free-flowing um, form of football. I'd like to see us push on with it a little bit more. I think what... Jose possibly needs is that trust that the side are going to go on and get that two or three goals, which apart from the, you know, extraordinary game at Manchester United, we haven't done yet against um, several teams. So um, I, I think it's I think it's coming. I think he I think he's just building those foundations, and there's still a little bit of quality we probably need at the at the at the centre half. I thought Toby was fantastic again on on Sunday night when he came in, and and Eric Dyer had a really solid game as well. Sanchez, you know. I, I like Sanchez, but unfortunately, he does seem to have um, you know a clangor in him every now and again, and, and and he's really struggling to shake that reputation. So, you know, that defence is probably still the weak spot of the team. But barring that, we we do look very strong. What do you make of Mourinho's man management at Spurs so far? Because we saw at Manchester United, there was a very fine line between tough love and personal attacks. And it ended up at Manchester United, I think, kind of costing him the dressing room. We saw a little bit of it after the Antwerp defeat as well. He called out some individuals on that. Do you think it's going to work, that that attitude, that kind of man management at Tottenham? Yeah, I think, obviously, the, the most high-profile one at the moment appears to be a little bit of a um, crossing of the swords with Deli mm. Ali. I mean, you know, it seems to all be worked out than Dombele. So, and he does have this reputation of falling out with certain high-profile players. I mean... I think he's setting standards that he wants from from the team and and if you don't fit within that then you need to move on and and you know I I, I don't really see the harm in that too much I think I wouldn't want to see us getting to the point where he's calling players out individually as he has done you know publicly at previous previous roles but you know I I would personally say that having watched the the documentary um the the the, the kind of um, the atmosphere within the dressing room, the relationship he has with players. You know, I think everyone's sort of seen a slightly different side of Mourinho in the past sort of six months since that documentary's come out. And and I don't think you can argue with it because there's certain players who, who have... Um, maybe not fitted in with what he wants them to do and they've been moved on and Danny Rose is an example of that you know Danny Rose has been a great servant to the club played for us for what 10 11 years and he's kind of left without too much fanfare because 
his attitude maybe wasn't quite right towards the towards the end of his career with us. And if, if Deli Ali's going to be the same, then I don't really see the issue in terms of moving players like that on. So I, I think I think he's just setting standards and they're probably new standards and it's a different style to someone like Pochettino. But at the same time, I, I, I don't have too much of an issue with it as long as it doesn't start getting a bit too ugly and personal kind of in the public sphere. Undoubtedly, a Premier League with Jose Mourinho in it, whatever club he's managing, is better than a Premier League with a Jose Mourinho not in it, in my opinion. I think the guy's absolutely brilliant. Uh, Carl, awesome to talk to you. Thanks for coming on Football Social Daily. If people want to find your book or find more from you, where can they look? Yeah, the best place uh, to find the book, it's called Being That Number. It's it's about Tottenham Hotspur supporters clubs around the world and it kind of tells the story of that season through their eyes. So we've got fans all over the world and, and each chapter is dedicated to them and obviously it does happen to coincide with a rather eventful season getting to the Champions League final. So the the best places on Amazon uh, being that number by Carl Jones. Top man, Carl. Thanks, Jim. And that is it for today's Football Social Daily. If you enjoyed today's episode or you like the podcast in general, don't forget to leave us a review. You can do that on Apple Podcasts or however you listen to podcasts. Tell us what you make of the show. Give us five stars and you might get a shout out on the podcast as well. But for today, nice one, Stefan. Cheers, Jim. Uh, I'm off. I'm away now to uh, start the Bobby Firmino uh, fan group. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. And cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jim. It's been a pleasure. And we'll see you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at the Sports Social.